listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Like that passage that we read today, thank you, Sarah, for reading it, the passage that we read from Paul to Timothy, a passage about contentment. I mean, if there ever was a lesson that we need in our culture today, contentment might be it. Like we are so shaped by a culture about kind of getting more, more experiences, more stuff, right? You've heard me say before that, you know, all of us are kind of customers of Jeff Bezos or, or Mark Zuckerberg or, I don't know, Elon Musk or, or what have you, right? It's like we're kind of shaped by a culture of consumerism, You've probably heard me say this before, too. Like when you travel internationally, when you get to um, the the check-in, what do they call that? Customs. (laughs) When you get to customs, they ask you, are you here for business or pleasure? Because that's it. That's your only options in this world. Either you're here to make money or you're here to spend money. And there's there's nothing else that we can do. And that, that way of being in the world not only kind of forms us, I might even say deforms us, into simply being consumers. But it will also consume us because we'll never get enough. We'll always want more. Like there have been studies that kind of show that there's a certain kind of dollar amount that if people make up to that amount, um, uh, they're happy. But if they make over that amount, their happiness does not continue to kind of go up. Right? Because once we get kind of Maslow's Uh, basic needs of the human, you know, food and shelter and clothing and some sense of safety and and happiness. Moving beyond those things, happiness is not obtained these ways. So I grew up, you know, as you know, as an Appalachian American kind of in the hills and my my grandmothers had lots of like home decor. Do they still call it that? Home decor? Yeah. Uh, and they would, they would kind of be, you know, other than that one picture of Jesus that I'm very used to seeing that probably didn't look at anything like Jesus actually looked like. Um, there was another that I think all of my aunts had it, both of my grandmothers had it, and I'm pretty sure we had in it too. And it was, it was some variation of this. This is a quote from Arne Garborg, but this, this was on the home decor. It says, for money, you can have everything, it is said. No, that is not true. You can buy food, but not an appetite. Medicine, but not health. Soft beds, but not sleep. Knowledge, but not intelligence. Glitter, but not comfort. Fun, but not pleasure. Acquaintances, but not friendship. Servants, but not faithfulness. Gray hair, but not honor. Quiet days, but not peace. The shell of all things can get you can get for money, but not the kernel. That cannot be had for money. Anybody else recognize that one? That's, it's fairly common. Maybe it was more common, whatever, 40, 50 years ago. But uh, that was a popular one. It is so good. I mean, it's, you know, who would have thought such bad art could produce such... <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't particularly well done, but um, it did kind of say something. Something I think we need to hear. There was, um, you know, 
one of the, I don't listen to kind of any podcasts, and I say that partially as a confession to you all. I know that you're supposed to do that these days, but I just haven't got into it yet. But every once in a while, I will listen to a TED Talk, and there was one given fairly recently, a few years ago, by Emily Esfahani Smith. I'm not exactly sure I um, pronounced her maiden name correctly. But in it, she was talking about the elusiveness of happiness, the way in which, like, we all want to be happy, and if we try and be happy, we often aren't. Like, in the attempt to be happy, we don't actually accomplish what we're after. And what has been found through, A, the study of kind of psychology, but also kind of in ancient times, just through the study of faith and religion. I mean, Scripture tells us this story, too, that happiness is not obtained by seeking happiness, but rather kind of meaningfulness. Like, if we have a life that is full of meaning, we will find out, almost as like a side product, that we are happy. But the question then might be, well, how do you obtain a meaningful life? <laughs> like, how is that obtained? And, and she suggests um, four things that um, are like the pillars of a happy life. The first one she suggests is belonging. That we need, like we need to belong to something. And when we feel like we do belong to something, that gives us meaning. I think that's exactly right. Like, belonging is so important. And too often in our groups, whether it's our civic groups or just our peer groups or like friend groups, we think that people need to do something in order to earn their belonging, right? So they need to be good at something or they need to share some kind of common belief. Like, there's all these kind of requirements to belonging. They have to pay their dues, right? You can't be a part of this group until you are this or that or the other, and when we put all those kind of requirements on belonging, it makes belonging kind of, kind of difficult in a way. And so we do this in the church sometimes too. Like we won't let you belong into the church until you believe certain things and until you behave certain ways. And so for the longest time here at Oasis, we've tried our very best to flip that on its head. Like we want you to know that you belong. We want you to know that your friends and family belong. We want you to know that anybody that you work with, anybody you bump into at Publix, right, they, they belong. This, this is a place where everyone is welcome, right? Anything's possible and nobody's perfect. So our belonging is not based on what we do. Our belonging is not based on what we know. Our belonging is not based on what we behave. The reason we believe that everyone belongs here is because this is God's house and God made you and God loves you. And if there is this the one God and he's the creator of all things and everyone and everyone is created in God's image and, and, and God's likeness and they bear God's image and if this is God's house then they belong here. Like, so I, I don't know about what it was like for you but I, I had a very good relationship with my parents and so kind of being at my parents' home, whether it was my home, right, when we were growing up or even when I got older, like being there, I always felt extraordinarily comfortable. Like it was, it was an easy place to be. I had the same relationship with my in-laws. Like if it's the kind of place where I could easily kick off my shoes. 
I didn't have to kind of put up a facade. I knew that if there was a guest or if there was a stranger, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? I was at home. I, this, I was part of the group that belonged there. And I want, you to all, I want you to all feel that way here at Oasis. Like, when you talk about Oasis, I want you to refer to it as my church because it is your church. This is, this is where you belong. And so that when you, when you come and when you worship and when you fellowship and when you serve and when you invite others to do the same, it's because we all belong. Like, this, this is the place to belong. There are other places in culture, of course, to which you can belong. There's civic groups that are very helpful, and they're good for our society. There's, there's interest groups, right? So you might be a runner, or you might be a bike rider, or you might be a bird watcher, or you might be a bowler, or you might be, I don't know, a knitter. I don't, I don't know if they're actually knitting groups. I'm just imagining that one. Um, but there could be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, 100%. So, so there's, there's interest groups, and I think those are healthy, too. <coughs> Excuse me. But I, I do think that, that church is one of, the, one of the primary ways in which we can realize and, and practice the benefit of belonging. Right? And I want you to know that you do belong here. Now, we can talk about behaviors and behaving well. Not that I'm just looking at my children over here. But... Um, we can talk about behaviors and how we behave, and we can also talk about beliefs, but, but that will come. All right? But everyone belongs. The second thing that's said that another pillar of a life that is full of meaning is purpose. Like people need to have a sense of purpose, that they're, they're here for some reason, that they're making some kind of contribution. Now, purpose a lot of times gets kind of connected to occupation, right? And so what you do is your purpose and you're kind of fulfilling this. And if it works out that way for you and your occupation and your vocation seem to be one and the same, that's great. But I want you to know that your purpose in this world is not reducible to your job, right? Your purpose in this world, can, can, you can find that in various ways of giving of yourself, and, and this, this is, again, I think we find this in Scripture, but we also find this in kind of positive psychology, that when we give, we are happier. Like, you know the old adage, it's better to give than receive, which just sounded like nonsense to me as a kid, like utter nonsense. Like, that is something somebody made up, because I've, 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 I've been given gifts, and I have had given gifts, and it seemed to me it was always better to get Right? I was always even a little jealous to go to some birthday party. Look at that kid. They got all these gifts, right? But as we get older, there is a sense in which when you give of yourself, and you can give in a variety of ways. Again, the church is a beautiful setting for that to happen. But this can happen in your families. It can happen in your communities. It can happen in your friend group, right? That you, you don't just live in a kind of an egotistical way to kind of fulfill your own needs, because, again, it's like grasping for smoke, right? It's always elusive. It's like trying to hold more sand in your hand by gripping it tightly, right? So the tighter you grip, the less you'll actually have a hold of. 
But as, as you kind of give away, you'll be amazed the sense of purpose that will come into your life. Right? And you can, you can do this in a variety of ways with your, again, with your uh, spouse or significant other. If you have children, it can kind of come, come into kind of that way. Um, friends, family, certainly the church, right? There's always something to do here at the church. We have breakfast and someone has to cook. You know, someone also has to clean. And, and often that's the same people who cook. <laughs> Be nice to disperse that a little bit. There, there are greeters. There's even <clears throat> simple things. I mean, it might not seem like much, but when we come to the table, you realize the way we serve requires somebody to hand those things out, right? They have to be passed out. And so we can, when we do that, we are, we are participating in the, the sharing of God's grace, the sharing of God's forgiveness. We can do that in our prayers. We can do that um, in, our, in our very thoughts, that this is not just part of our external life, but this is part of our internal life. That we're not just kind of focused on ourselves, but we have this kind of outward focus. We are outward facing, uh, looking, looking and anticipating the ways in which we might be of aid. So the first pillar is belonging. The second one is a sense of purpose. The third one, the third pillar of a meaningful life, is some sense of transcendence. Uh, that the, it, this life is more than just me, right? Or us. That there's something bigger that we're about. Um, there's an old story that's told of a medieval uh, stonecutter. And the first stonecutter is asked, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm cutting this stone. And the second stonecutter is asked, what are you doing? And he said, well, we're, we're building a cathedral, Right, the sense that what we're doing is a part of something more, that it's it's not reducible to this. Um, you know, you could ask anyone. Like, like, let's say you're at the hospital, and you and you run into this. This analogy was used in the TED talk. Um, she was at a hospital, and and uh, the lady giving the talk, the psychologist, and she had spoken with uh, someone on the sanitation staff, and she kind of asked her what she did, and she said, well, we heal people. Well, of course that's what they do at a hospital. You go to a hospital to get better, right? And so everyone who's there, from the CEO and the administration to the medical staff and the doctors and all the technicians, to those who are cleaning, to those who are serving in the, in the cafeteria, to the orderlies, what have you. I mean to the security guard who sits at the front desk and, and watches for people, right? Everybody there kind of shares a common mission. And when you're a part of a mission, again, that's beyond yourself, you'll experience a sense of transcendence. Now, what would that mean for Paul and Timothy? What, what might that mean for us? Well, here, transcendence is what we're all about. <laughs> we believe that we worship the God who created all things visible and invisible, right? And in Jesus Christ is only Son, our Lord. We believe in the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Spirit. You can't touch the Spirit. You can't taste the Spirit. There's a, there is a transcendence that it's beyond just our physicality. It includes physical things, but it's not reducible to those things. And so faith 
the lady who gave uh, the TED Talk came from a home that was Sufi. It's a form of the is Islamic faith, but it's, they, they, it's very expressive, right? They spin and they pray and they pray and they spin and they dance. And it's interesting, that form of that faith is probably the closest to the Pentecostalism of my childhood. We were very, very expressive. And so I know what it means to kind of live in a uh, spiritual subculture where your, your sense of being is kind of shaped by an ever-present sense of transcendence, that there's something more, that my life is not reducible to the days between my birth and death, but I'm, I'm part of something. And that thing that I'm a part of, I believe, the thing that we are a part of is nothing less than the family of God, the body of Christ, the, the temple of the Spirit, um, the kingdom of God that is coming that we both pray for and that we participate in. Um, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but uh, Eugene Peterson had, has said something about prayer and how it works. And, and forgive me for the technicality here. Um, you know, in English, we, we, verbs either have an active voice or a passive voice. The active voice means the subject does the action. Robbie hits the ball. Now, I actually don't play on our softball team, <laughs> so we, we don't know if I can actually hit a ball or not. This is just an analogy. All right. So Robbie hits the ball. That's active. Robbie's doing the action, right? The ball hits Robbie. Oh, uh, no. The Robbie is hit. I have to get this out. Robbie is hit by the ball. In that case, that's the passive voice. The subject is not doing the action. The action is being done to the subject. Right? Robbie hits the ball, is active. Robbie is hit by the ball. That's passive. <laughs> that's very different, especially if you're Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, what the Greek language has that English doesn't have is it has a third voice. It's called the middle, which is nice. It's in between active and passive. And in the middle voice, the subject does the action, but then participates in its result. So I guess we do, we have, we have, we do the same thing. We're still human beings, but we're perceiving reality differently. So in, in Greek, to say I come or to say I go you can't say it just in the active voice. You only can say that in the middle. Because as you're coming or as you're going, you're both doing it and participating in it. When you wash your hands, you can't do that in the active voice in Greek. You only can do it in the middle. So Peterson says this. He says that prayer is in the middle voice. When you pray, you're not being active. It's not like you're doing something to God or, you're, or that somehow you're getting God to do something that God would otherwise not do. Like God doesn't need your ideas. God's not just sitting around waiting for you to say, hey God, why don't you help this person in need? And God's like, oh, what a great idea. <laughs> I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> Look, if your God needs your ideas in order to do the right thing, you need a new God. Because you're not worshiping the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're not worshiping the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ, right? The God who, who dies on a cross and who is resurrected. For that God is all good, and that God is active. 
So our prayers aren't so much in the active voice, but catch this, they're not in the passive voice either. It's not like we're just fatalists. Well, whatever will be, will be, right? All right, two people fall down the stairs. One person asks, I wonder what I did to deserve that. The other person says, man, I'm glad that's over. Listen, we don't have to be that second person either, like thinking that our prayers are just passive. Our prayers are active. We pray them. And then we participate in their results. And I think Peterson's not just right in the fact that that's the way prayer works. He's also right, I think, and I would expand his thought there to say that's how all of faith works. That our worship is in the middle voice, our service is in the middle voice, our fellowship is in the middle voice. That we're always doing it. This is not a spectator sport. This is, this is a community activity. And in that community activity, we find both belonging, we find purpose, and we find transcendence. Which leads me to the fourth, the fourth point of, of a meaningful life. And this one might surprise you. It's the stories we tell ourselves. So if we tell ourselves stories about the way in which we are depraved, about the way in which we are hopeless, about the way in which we suffer, we'll believe those stories that we tell ourselves. But if we tell our stories, and again, from my childhood, we didn't call them our stories, we called them our testimonies, right? But if we, if we tell our stories in ways that are more faithful and more positive, it will, it will have an effect on us. So I'm not just here talking about kind of the power of positive thinking, although I'm not so sure that wasn't what was being talked about in the TED Talk, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about a faithfulness to a God who we read about in Scripture and who we can experience in our lives that we, we experience difficulty and we see it as an opportunity to, to grow. Like, difficulties happen. Perfection is not a reality in our life. Um, perfectionism, I don't know, 150, 200 years ago, particularly in the Catholic Church, and if you're Catholic, don't think I'm kind of bashing your your particular expression of the faith. But there was, there was a time where perfectionism was kind of embraced, like everybody was going to be just right, and you had to do just these things, and it would always work. I mean, we had this in my childhood too, right? We, we, we were kind of perf- perfectionism was, was something that we were after. But Teresa of Lusseau, who um, died when she was 24, believe it or not, so young, but was later declared a doctor of the church which means that her teachings are utterly trustworthy. She says this. She says that it's not about being just right. It's about knowing that I'm never just right. She called it her little way. And she's like, we, we actually will obtain being the perfect human just by embracing our kind of um, finitude. Part of what it means to be human is that we won't always know. Part of what it means to be human is that we won't always get it right. Part of what it means to be human is that we sometimes do make mistakes. And so if, if we're just trying to never, to always know everything, 
and to um, never make mistakes. In a way, we're trying not to be human. And she says it's in our limitations that we realize the depth of God's love for us. And she says, I know that God loves me because I'm not perfect. And it's that kind of embrace of the imperfection. That's a story that I can get behind. Like I, I think Teresa of Lusso is, is exactly right. That the, the story that we tell ourselves is, is important. And I think her story is just right. So here's the story I want you to tell yourself about yourself. God loves you. God made you. <laughs> and God died for you. <laughs> and, and God wants only the best for you. And in this life, there's a lot of ways in which that doesn't always seem like it's being realized. But you need to know that God is with you. Even in the hard times, and maybe especially in the hard times. At night, when we feel like we can't sleep well, we're not, we might not make it through the night. We're filled, we're filled with you know, anxiety about the future or whatever we're facing. Financial difficulty, physical difficulty, relational issues. But we can find meaning. We can experience contentment. And I would even go as far to say happiness. Again, not by seeking after it, but by finding meaning. And, I, and again, I think we find meaning both in belonging and in purpose and in transcendence and in the way we tell our stories. We, we say this, uh, I'll close here, we say this prayer, it's actually a confession, at the end of the service every week. And it's as we're taking up the offering and we say we believe that every good thing comes from God and that God's goodness is freely given. That's part of the story we tell ourselves and I know we might be in the habit of just repeating it because it's up on the screen, but I want you to believe it. That every good thing comes from God and that God's goodness is freely given. That's a statement about God. Then we say this, we devote ourselves to lives of generosity and resist the covetous ways of this world. I want you to embody that too. That be committed to living a life of generosity with your time, with your talent, with your treasure. And to resist the covetous ways of the world. Then we say this, we denounce the myth of scarcity and proclaim the abundance of your provision. Again, the myth of scarcity is this idea. It doesn't mean that sometimes things aren't scarce. I get that. Inflation. Maybe you've realized it. Right? Things cost more than they did just six months ago or a year ago. Gas costs more. Food costs more. Uh, utilities cost more. Uh, rent costs more. It's not that, that scarcity doesn't happen. The myth of scarcity is this, that that's inevitable. That's the myth. And that there's, there actually isn't enough to go around. If, if we share generously with our resources, there actually is enough. The myth of scarcity says you have to hold on to what you have, and if you share, you won't have enough. That's the myth we're trying to renounce. But there is enough. And if we're generous, 
will realize the abundance of God's provision. So we end with, Lord, teach our hearts to give joyfully. Enrich us with that which is not corrupt or decay. We'll confess that again at the end of this service today. But I just thought on this sermon, which we titled The Uncommon Good, (laughs) it ends our series on the common good. What's uncommon about it is that we just don't always practice it or realize it enough. It's only uncommon just because it doesn't exist enough in the world. But I think if we, just the few of us that are here, if we can start to practice this, right, then we can become the agents of how that gets realized in our very lives. And what is an uncommon good could at least come among us common. And then if it comes common among us, think of what that will do to those whose lives that we touch. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.